This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome, everybody. If you're planning on starting from scratch, starting a brand new homestead, you got homestead goals in the future, or if you've already been homesteading for years and you just want to expand a little bit, tonight's show is going to help you out. Planning and designing and building homestead farm fence. So we got Eli here. Eli is from Mac Farms. He's from Ken Cove Farm Fencing. Eli, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Eli, Mac Farms. What do you do at Mac Farms for people who are new, sure. people who are listening to on the podcast, sure. who've never heard of you before? Uh, the YouTube audience has been fortunate enough to see Mac Farms, but what do you guys do there? Yeah, Mac Farms uh, is my own little farm uh, here in Brush Valley, Pennsylvania. We raise cattle and sheep, pigs, chickens, some turkeys, honeybees, a little bit of everything. I'm really getting my feet wet in all those different areas, but it's mainly a grazing operation, um, ruminants with the the cattle and the sheep being the main focus. So very grazing intensive and learning some of the other species along the way. Uh, We went and toured Mac Farm. If you haven't seen that video, you're going to want to go see that. Uh, You can search on the the Homesteady channel, and we'll link to it later on. Uh, But awesome, awesome stuff Eli's got going on there. Some beautiful Highland cattle. Yeah. Very much uh, influential in our decision to make the <laughs> leap into Highlands. So if you want to watch somebody uh, all the time moving cows through some beautiful pasture, check out what Eli's doing at Mac Farms. Now, you got two hats on today. You got the, the Mac Farms hat, but you got the Ken Cove sweatshirt. What do you do at Ken Cove? So at Ken Cove, I work in the marketing department where I'm a content developer, um, but just help and aid in all the, the video production, blogs, uh, product descriptions, anything like that. Uh, we've been pretty active this year and especially this year coming with video projects and um, yeah, a lot of teaching material and do-it-yourself kind of stuff. So we're pretty hot and heavy into all that. What do you guys focus at Ken Cove, well, you know, product-wise? What do people find there? What do you provide sure. for homesteaders? So it's uh, Ken Cove Farm Fence. So you're not going to get your, your feed or your water <laughs> dishes, but it's, it's all fence. Anything that you could need fencing-wise we have it. So um, every every style, every little insulator, every little gadget or tool to get the job done, we have it. So tonight we want to talk about designing, uh, even for people who are kind of homestead dreamers who are thinking, you know, in the future I want to find a place. What is the process to go from just bare land, nothing on it, to, hey, look at that. I'm out here rotationally grazing my animals every day. Uh, so Eli is going to walk us through. Nice thing is Eli, like a lot of people at Ken Cove, has animals. He's out there every morning. Uh, those of you who watched the YouTube video know uh, Eli is literally every morning before work moving. How many uh, head of cattle do you have? Twenty right now. 20. Yeah. So before his day job, he goes out and he moves cows, 
and then he goes to work at the fencing company all day and uh, today's going to help us with this process so don't forget if you could hit that thumbs up button hit the share button and paste it to another social media page tell people who love homesteading love farming Tonight we're going to be answering questions. We got a professional here with us to answer questions about designing and installing farm fence. So wherever you think people might find this helpful or interesting, please share the link. We'd really appreciate it. And just to let everybody know, Ken Cove has partnered with us. They are sponsors for this episode. So they're sponsoring Eli to be here tonight answering questions. Happy to be here. Eli, I have been a farm dreamer before. I have literally stood at a piece of property that had zero fence and thought to myself, well, actually, I thought to myself, my wife wants to have animals, not me <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Yeah. I've been looking out you know, into pastures that had nothing. And me, I'm not super handy. I didn't grow up on a farm. I can't tell you how many times I had to pad out trying to figure out what to do, and I didn't even know where to start. Yeah. Someone who is in that position, who is a farm dreamer, maybe they're, they're closing on their first homestead. We get emails a lot. Hey, I'm just closed on my new property. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. Where does someone begin with putting together a good plan for a farm fence? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and typically that startup point is the toughest because you have this blank canvas. Um, I'm in a similar situation. I have a, a new piece of property. Um, it's got nothing on it. No fence, no buildings, nothing established. It's just, it's just property, it's just land. So... Um, one of the biggest things we can do at the beginning of the process is just observe. Um, if you have time that you can slow down and kind of set a pace and just observe, that's great. If you, if you need to come in running and get things going, that's one thing. But if you can really watch the landscape for a year would be great because you can see all the seasons. You can see um, how the wind comes into an area. You can see where the water lays, where the water runs. Um, what places get real dry, don't put your ground bed there for the electric fence, you know, all those kind of things. <laughs> That's a bad mix. Yeah. <laughs> Puddles and electric fence. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just try to, try to observe all the different nooks and crannies of the property and know what's doable or not doable, or, um, you know, travel different roads and paths to see what actually works, you know, or you feel like you're going to roll off this hill, or if you build a road and put a gate here, uh, in the wintertime and it's slick with ice, are you going to you know, slide into a post or that, something like that. Such a good point. A whole year gives you four seasons. Yeah. And you know, I mean, your farm, if you follow Eli on Instagram, you can see day to day what the moves look like. And just in this week, right, yeah. we had, today was almost 60 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about jumping in the pond the other day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a swim. But then a week ago, it was zero out and snow was blowing. Yeah. So really, your land, not only in a week's time changes a ton, mm -hmm. but summer to winter, there's a huge change. Yep. So I love that bit of advice. Take your time and make sure you've observed what it's like in all these different seasons. Yeah. But now let's be real, Eli. These people have been so excited to get to their new farm. Yeah. They're dying to get those chickens. Can they get a couple chickens while they're waiting on this year? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of ways that you can plug in animals. Um even from the get-go, and still be flexible about it. And that's that's one thing that I'd probably stress in this episode, and we can hammer on this as much as you want, but um, flexibility is huge. And if you can build with some flexibility in mind up front before everything is just cemented and in the ground, um, that can really help your build for the long haul. You know, it can be flexible now and in the future. That's a great 
point, it's something we did when we moved here. Uh, we spent actually, I think it was two full seasons on the property before we made any changes. Now there was yeah. already some fencing here, mm -hmm. there was already a barn, but our big project, which we've partnered with Ken Cove on, which you're starting to see now, we're showing how it all works, that high tensile uh, project out in our field, um, before we went, like you said, and poured you know concrete and put posts in the ground, we wanted to be sure we had a good idea. So we actually went up there with some stepping posts and twine and you know, not everybody's going to be able to do this. We're yep. very fortunate. We had little mini jerseys, which were really, really well trained. And we trusted them not to escape and run off somewhere, you know, get lost in Pennsylvania <laughs> somewhere. Start the wild uh, cattle of Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> but we actually laid everything out. You can see right now, if you're watching the video version of the podcast, that was us testing out what now is in the field in high tensile and stepping posts or uh, high tensile and wooden posts, mm -hmm. we, we tested it all out. We changed our design a couple times. Sure. Yeah. So great advice. If you can test it out, even if it's just, I remember when we were designing, uh, Ken Cove's got guys that you can call and help you with your design. And I was working with Rick mm -hmm. and Rick suggested to me, lay it out in rope, mm -hmm. take some rope, go buy some cheap rope and lay it out and, you know, cut rope for your gates, yep. drive your vehicles through them you know, really make sure before it becomes permanent that mm -hmm. you like the design. Yeah. And uh, you, without observing, you're not going to be able to do that. So a little bit of patience. And uh, if you got to get a couple chickens first. Yes, that's fine. That's, that's what fine. that's what uh, chicken netting's for. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And another thing I would say is just as you're observing, what you're looking for is basically the scale of permanence, if you're familiar with that term. But you're looking at features of the landscape that um, can easily be changed, can be changed with a little bit of work or things that you're just absolutely not going to change, you know. Um, so water running through the middle of your property, you can maybe redirect it. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. That's going to take some work, you know, things like that. So you start weighing what can stay and what you should work around, you know, and, uh, you know, trees and things like that. Trees can be beneficial in the pasture. If you come in guns ablaze and we're chopping trees down, oh, it's going to take a long time for trees to grow back to that caliber of uh, to shade or, or fodder or whatever. So That's um, such a good point. Take your time on the trees and things. We, we uh, did some work on part of the property and we got people running the machines, didn't get the right message. And sure. some trees were dropped that sure. once they're gone, they're gone. So right. that's, yeah, that's a great bit of advice. Yes, sir. I like that too, that, that scale permanence. Tree's not as permanent as, you know, maybe a stream is, uh, but whether or not you go and change that, you might regret it later. Right. So great advice, taking our time, observing, you know, the property itself. Now, as we're doing this, if we have no animals or if we have a little, maybe we got a little chickens or like we had a couple little mini cows, um, what do we want to think about as far as planning forward goes and the animals and how we're going to use this property? Yeah. Um, so as you're doing that, you're going to be basically forming a context for your homestead, for your farm, whatever it is. Um, and that context is just going to define your life and your operation and how it's going to be and how you want it to be. So that can be, um, the species that you're going to be working with now and in the future, basically knowing your audience, you know, um, so what livestock are you going to be bringing on? Are you go, could you see yourself developing into larger herd of the same species? Could you get into different species? You just want to build in a way that's as flexible for that as possible. I know that you joke about the goats that you were 
No goats. We're yep. good. And then uh, everybody knows I had sworn off goats forever. They were never coming back to this homestead. Mm-hmm. And you can look, you can look in the room right there and see my daughter waving her finger. She uh, had, she had the power to change what the scale of permanence. Sure. Yeah. Dad's no goat thing was not very permanent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just the consideration of what could happen down the road, you yeah. know. And obviously, a year like uh, COVID or pandemic year really shakes what we think is set in stone, you know, so um, food supply chains and all those kind of things get shaken and maybe you never thought you would have pigs, but now that looks like a pretty good idea. So now you need a lower wire on that fence, you know, so maybe you just build that flexibility into it up front. Um, That's something I did on the recent build. I just built it so that it could contain whatever class of livestock I could see myself getting into. and even on farm, sometimes we compartmentalize and say, hey, these animals are going to go here. These animals are going to go here. Weather patterns or ease of accessibility in a certain season can change that. And now these goats are over here in this fence and the cows got to go this way and the chickens are over here. So just being as well-rounded as you can be for flexibility, both efficient function and also down the road. For someone who has no experience with animals, or maybe they just got their first bunch of chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, any advice on how they could, without knowing, is this going to work for cows or is this going to work for goats? What's something they could do to better answer that question? Sure. I mean, I know on the Ken Cove side, we have resources in articles and blogs. Um, we've got videos for building a certain kind mm-hmm. of fence, and there's plenty of suggestions out there as far as recommendations per livestock class. Um you know, people have been fencing for a long time, and we have it down to a science as far as what will contain what. Um, and there's going to be a plethora of voices out there. Well, you should do it this way. You should do it that way. Those final decisions will come down to you um, as you're implementing and as you're observing the animals. But ultimately, there are some pretty good standby um, suggestions for those configurations. We can help you with that if you don't know uh, what to expect with these animals or how elusive and uh, Houdinis they're going to be, <laughs> you can give us a call and uh, we'll help coach you in the right direction as far as wire spacing, uh, what style of fence, you know, is it going to be a high tensile versus a woven wire situation uh, where your woven wire is going to be more of a, a permanent barrier sheep and goat kind of thing and some of those smaller livestock or more athletic livestock yeah. not to slip through or over or under. Um, <laughs> but we can help you through any of those recommendations. One of the awesome things about your guys' company, I've said this on our, our last video, is everybody there has animals. Yeah. So you're, you're talking, you're in the office, you're chatting with people, and you're telling goat stories. And right. They know <laughs> goats are going to escape, and they know how to help that. And, um, so great bit of advice there. For those of us who are the dreamers who don't even know, will it work? What should I actually plan into my system? That's a great way to do it. So it sounds like in the beginning, we're observing, we're taking a little time with our property, getting to know it coming up with ideas, kind of dreams. Mm-hmm. I would love to have some cows. Not sure if I can, but I would love to. I'd, I'd love to have some sheep. Uh, I'd love to have some goats. Get an idea of what we want. And then also, uh, whether this is through what we're seeing on social media, what we're listening to on podcasts, or just going visiting farms nearby, getting an idea of the management style that kind of appeals, mm-hmm. right? Does it make sense in my life to rotationally graze cows every morning? Or do I have a couple major paddocks, yeah. right, that I shift? Um, 
How much does lifestyle play into our design, Eli? I, I think that is part of context because it's not just about the animals, it's also about you and the lifestyle, the time budget, the money budget that you have. Um, so that 100% plays into it and it can be built in a way. There's, there's a wide variety of materials out there that can help make things more efficient, can make things more budget friendly, anything like that. So it really comes down to what is gonna work for you. Um, so the flexibility is there, the options are there, and that's, that's a big part of it, and we can help you make the decision on some of those things. If, um, so if someone's taken the time, they've done their, their brainstorming, they got an idea of the animals they want, kind of the management style, now they're trying to figure out what kind of fence should I build? Mm -hmm. What different types of fencing is out there for someone to use on their homestead? Yeah. What, what options are there? Sure. Um, so we mentioned like the woven wire. Um, and you might see this elsewhere as welded wire, anything like that. It could be called fixed knot or hinge or S knot is another style. So these woven wires are uh, more full panels, you know, usually in 330 foot rolls is what they come in typically. Um, but that's going to be more so for your sheep and goat containment or even some pig fence um, can be that. And that's going to be a very permanent metal perimeter. Um, for those more elusive animals for, for keeping them in confined and not, not getting out. Um, high tensile fence, which you have here now, that was the yep. project that we did with you guys. Yep. Um, high tensile fence is very popular. It's very strong, durable, has a long lifespan, and it's fairly easy to install once you know kind of some simple bracing. Um, and that gives you a lot of options. So maybe, um, maybe woven wire doesn't fit the budget. We can add more strands towards the bottom or whatever we need to do to really stack those lines uh, to make it more of a containment. Um, and then you can electrify certain things to make it more of a psychological barrier um, if the phys physical barrier isn't necessarily there. Um, you know, a lot of people take over farms or inherit farms that fences are falling over. You know, the fence that was built 70 years ago is kind of on its last leg, but uh, we don't want to redo that right now. We can always just add some electric on the inside of that as an offset to help add that psychological barrier that they can't pass that line. When we moved here, uh, my mother-in-law, well, actually, originally the farm, the, the barn, the farmyard was actually built for Kay. Uh, Kay yep. and her sister wanted horses, and uh, her dad put that all together. But once the girls had moved out, uh, there were no more horses, and my mother-in-law had chickens. Mm -hmm. And so my father-in-law, he doesn't do anything the wrong way. He's a builder. He does a great, great job. He had the perfect three panel, three, um, what's the paddock? Three paddock mm -hmm. system for chickens. Beautiful, tall chicken wire fencing. Looked wonderful. And we moved in with our cows yeah. and our bulls and then our camels. Uh -huh. <laughs> and in one or two seasons, this beautiful chicken. Now, this was good quality fencing, yeah. right? We yeah. moved into good quality fencing. It was destroyed. Sure. Because the bulls destroyed. They, they pushed on it and they tore it apart. And the camels, this is when you don't typically have to deal with a fencing problem, camel problem. <laughs> but horses will do this too. They would reach their head over the yeah. fence to try to get at the grass. Yep. And so our beautiful farm fence was just ripped, pushed down, compressed, torn down. And that's where we came to the conclusion of, okay, you know what, we actually need both kinds of fencing. Mm -hmm. So we decided, you know what, we need high tensile up in the field, 
But down in our lower section where we had some of our smaller animals, yeah. the baby goats, the pigs, uh, we did the woven wire. And uh, being able to have both on the homestead, we find to be really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. And in the future, we will cover, uh, we'll actually do videos specific here on the YouTube channel to high tensile and its uses and its yeah. benefits, and then the woven wire. Uh, the truth is, when you have mini goats, mini kuni kunis, all the way to camels, yeah. <laughs> to be able to properly fence that yeah. spectrum was actually, it's actually pretty challenging. Yeah. But with the help of you guys, the different tools, the different tricks, having woven wire with a couple of hot wires to keep the bulls off of it, mm -hmm. and you know the coonies from rooting underneath it, uh, we've actually managed to contain, I would say 99.9% .9 of our animals <laughs> here on the homestead. That's a good percentage. Right, it's pretty yeah. good. That's a realistic percentage. <laughs> Uh, so we got a couple different options out there, you know, high tensile, we got woven wire. Uh, once someone has an idea of, you know, this is actually what I want to use, this is what I need it for, now we get down to the actual process, right, mm -hmm. of what is this fence going to look like? What does that look like? How do we go about coming up with an actual design? Yeah, um, I know on the Ken Cove side, that's where our product specialists can step in and they can really help um you were working with rick rick yeah. is a great product specialist rick was awesome um, if if you know kind of roughly what you want and maybe some of the materials you're on the fence about certain things send us some um, details send us a map you know send us some topography send us distances dimensions things like that um where your roads are going to be access points once you've worked through that scale of permanence and where you want things um if you send us some of that information we can help map that out and give you material lists and recommendations. So maybe you don't know, I'm not sure the best way to keep my horses separate from the pig fence or whatever. <laughs> um, we can help quote those materials and, and give you all the specifics you need to do that. So um, really let us be the resource for you. Even if you don't know for yourself, we can help you piece that together. Awesome advice there. Adding in, the considering not only the layout, right, but the topography. We actually had somebody yep. who's live with us tonight, uh, Dakota, who's a frequent flyer on the channel. Uh, Dakota asked, how do you guys go about fencing very hilly, curvy areas? Mm -hmm. uh, so are there any tricks when we're when we're looking at a layout? Here, we actually have a huge hill. Yeah. And I remember when I was working with Rick on our design, I actually sent Rick, because Google Maps does not show topography unless you click on the topography yeah, the map. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really translate when someone's looking at a google map oh that's a huge enormous hill so we were fortunate we had the drone here we flew mm -hmm. the drone up and we snapped some photos uh, but yeah how do you how do you deal with hills how do you deal with curves sure so i guess i would start by saying if if you've never worked fence before a question that will come up is how do i want to plant the posts you know are they supposed to like if my hill starts slanting down should i make the post you know, what should the post remain vertical at all times? How's that go? So the rule of thumb there is you want it to run perpendicular to the grounds or follow the landscape, you know, so the angle is going to change as you work down that hill. Um, the post is not going to remain vertical, vertical. It's going to follow the topography. So um, as you do that with very hilly ground, uh, hilly landscapes, you're going to maybe throw some extra braces in at that top rise point or the lowest dip point they're going to be braced to help the wire from pulling those posts up or down because um, those are the, the points of tension that are most under stress. Um, so you might need to add a couple extra posts or a couple extra braces. Make sure that you have those posts in that lowest spot, in that tallest spot on the hill. 
Um, high tensile fence, you can you can kind of keep on running up and down as long as it's not a, a crazy um, topography change. You can do that without additional braces, but you'll just have to play that by ear. Woven wire gets interesting with topography changes because oh, it's yeah. <laughs> it's one section of fence, you know. So now how do you how do you change that? So we talk to a lot of contractors on that subject because it does come up a lot. And um, some guys are really good at getting to that breaking point and then kind of judging the angle and cutting the wire out and then crimping it back together and going with the topography. Um, a lot of guys will say that it's really just time efficient and okay to cut the wire and splice it there at that post and then start a new run continuing on up. So topography can get a little tricky with high tensile. It's pretty flexible, pretty easy. Woven wire is a little bit more of a decision that needs to be made. You know, are we going to try to angle this and piece it together or do we just cut it and break it? So that's a great, one of those great things to know when we're designing our fence, we might decide, you know, at this part of the farm, high tensile. Mm -hmm. This part of the farm will work for the woven wire. This yep. section, don't even bother with woven wire because sure. it's going to be too crazy with all the hill changes. And we have... Our woven wire is a nice flat area by the barn, mm -hmm. level, flat, straight. And then as we enter the Pennsylvania Hills, <laughs> we go to all high tensile. Yep. And now uh, something we haven't covered yet, you mentioned it a little bit, but when selecting a high tensile fence, one of the biggest choices we have to make is how many wires. Mm -hmm. We have one naughty little cooney cooney. When I said we have the 99.9% .9 animals that stay in, we have... Uh, a cooney cooney that Kay refers to as the little rat. <laughs> and the reason why is this little, little pig slips under even our lowest wire because mm -hmm. it's a little cooney baby, like right. this big, slips right. under, sneaks out, and will go get into the chicken coop, mm -hmm. eat all the chicken feed. It's a little rat, runs sure. around eating all the yeah. stuff. How do people plan for, you know, how many wires, spacing, height? And then when, you know what, actually for this particular animal, maybe high tensile won't work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always interesting to hear people's stories when they call in and, and what kind of animals are causing them problems. You guys probably have some really good ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need like a hotline to feature on the channel. Oh, man. The Ken Cove call-in hour. <laughs> Just keep a journal of some of the wild oh, stories. Oh, it'd be great. That, There'd be so many good through. stuff. No, it... It's really case by case because sometimes it's not just a size or a breed. It's just an individual, you know, like yeah. just like people, animals have their own oh, personalities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it might not be a, a breed by breed or species or anything like that, but just the individual. Um, typically, you're going to want to place the electric wire. So with a high tensile fence, not all strands have to be hot or right. electrified. So you kind of pick and choose how your livestock are likely to interact with them. So like cattle or pigs. Uh, you want to put that wire kind of right on their nose. Like they're most likely, if they're checking it out, they're probably going to engage with their nose first. Um, and that's good because it's nice and, and moist that, and free yep. of hair. And Ready man, they'll get them. it right away. <laughs> um, things like the goats and, and sheep are a little bit trickier because their hooves um, provide a little bit more grounding or insulation as well as their, their hair or their wool. Um, that keeps them kind of insulated from that shock and they... That's why they need maybe some more wires or the woven wire with an offset um, or like a positive negative setup, a posi neg as we call it. So if you're in an arid area where the grounding conditions are just poor, you know, there's not enough moisture there to really help ground or anchor an animal for that um, circuit, you can do a posi negative or a positive negative, um, which links and kind of does alternating hot and cold. 
and that ground for the the non-hot lines goes all the way back to the energizer and when they make contact with both a positive and a negative or a hot and a ground wire that's what completes the circuit and now they're getting shocked so there are some tricks like that that you can do if you're having an, if you're watching an animal standing there up against the fence and you're wondering why the heck is this animal not getting shocked you what's know? wrong with my fence <laughs> um now obviously check the voltage first look for errors on the fence grab a fault finder go check it with the voltmeter uh, but especially in arid areas or dry areas um, positive negative can help with that or like kind of what we're experiencing here uh, we got some snow and then it kind of caps over with ice that also cuts in on the grounding issues um, and that might be a situation where if you need it you could do a posi neg setup okay. to make them grounded right there regardless of the ground condition oh okay because they're cut they're touching both wires and that goes all the way back to the energizer in the ground so bed. There's, there's always tricks yeah. <laughs> to match that one animal who's the troublemaker yeah. do you have a troublemaker or if you have you have a um so the sheep are the ones that oh, yeah. that test it the most on my farm um the cattle i can do with one strand of braided twine like no problem nobody even questions it uh but the sheep are a little bit trickier I know Greg Judy's sheep, they do like one strand. Uh, that, I don't, and, uh, I, I mean, I, I believe them, but I don't even believe them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm not at that it's level. It's a master so. level. The yeah. sheep are literally, we, we have so much footage of our sheep while I'm trying to film a video escaping, and then I have to run and chase them mm -hmm. so I can get back to making my video. Yeah. Yeah, the sheep have been hard. Um, goats. But this, we have found, like you said, uh, Cattle, real, real respectful. And then this actual project that we just, you know, did with you guys, the high tensile perimeter we put up. Really, really good at keeping even the sheep in. Mm -hmm. Sheep, uh, I don't know if our, our mini goats haven't been out there yet. They're only in the woven wire areas. But pretty much everything, we have six strand, and we did the, not all of them, hot wires. Yeah. So we have the alternating up there. And that's, the obviously, the cows aren't going anywhere. Uh, I only had one sheep get out ever from mm -hmm. that. And 99.9% uh, .9 of our pigs. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, the other thing, like with that little piglet, um, you might just add something at the bottom of the fence over right. time. You know, yeah. whether it's a, a section of um, woven on the outside or inside or yep. whatever. More ground strands at the bottom just to make it physically harder yeah. for him. Because one thing you don't want is you don't want to keep moving that electric line closer and closer to the ground because eventually you're going to ground out on something, you yeah. know. Yep. Um, and especially in the growing season and grass is wet, you know, that takes a toll on uh, your voltage. So fortunately for us, he was a mini. He was, you know, he was born here on the homestead. He's grown. So yeah. he no longer yeah. escapes. Good. So we are back to 100%. Good. Um, now, one of the benefits to the high tensile versus like the woven wire, this is something for a long time, being new to farming, being new to homesteading and everything, I was afraid of electric fencing purely sure. because I'd watched Jurassic Park yeah. too many times. <laughs> uh, and I didn't really understand it, didn't really understand how it worked, and it just seemed like complicated. What got me interested was the cost effectiveness of it. Yeah. When it comes to fencing, is high tensile the most cost effective out there? I would say for yeah your more permanent structures, yeah, I, I would say it is. Um, and part of that comes in with just the ease of install. Whether you're doing it or a contractor installer is doing it for you, that's going to be time you yep. know, for them too. Yep. So um, material-wise, yes, but also from the time factor, it's going to be easier and quicker. Yeah, so that's something to consider. I saw in the comments section people talking things that they had done and things that they had used. 
And um, I remember back at our old homestead, our first initial fencing projects, we did, uh, one time we did hog panels. Mm -hmm. Talk about a fortune. Hog yeah. panels are yeah. really, really expensive. Now, it was good. It kept our pigs in, but we cost a ton of money to do that. We also did some woven wire stuff, which that can be more expensive because the amount of material there. Dollar for dollar, the high tensile, and like you said, even the speed of installation, yeah. just uh, really, really good. Um, and we are also going to cover a little bit of DIY tips at the end here because you can DIY it. I was just going to throw out there, yeah. especially with you know the pig situation and a homesteading you know, context, ultimately price is a consideration. The biggest tool you can use in fencing is going to be creativity. Like Ken Cove can help give you the standard, the industry standard recommendation, you know, but ultimately your creativity of how you think you can do this or an installer, you know, um, can really, really open the door to some things. You know, I'm always trying new things at home, different products, different way of doing things, different bracing, trying to find what works and fills your niche that you can be budget effective and time effective. Um, and tools, you know, tools might yeah. be something we talk about. Um, I don't have a skid steer on the farm. Skid steer makes pounding posts really, really easy and quick. Um, but if you don't have that, you know, what are the other options out there? And that's where the creativity really comes in. Um, cause I like to be able to grab a tool in hand, go out on foot and accomplish what I'm going to do and not depend on a tractor or a skid steer for everything I need to do. So, um, creativity can really be your best friend. We'll, we'll help coach you in the right direction, but man, feel free to, to question them some things and try to come up with new and effective ways to do it. That's a good, good point. When we did this design, here's a little tip I'll throw out there along those lines of, you know, really getting creativity going. This is something we do when we're planning anything now. Mm -hmm. It's something I've, I've learned from the beginning of homesteading. It makes you do better. Never use your first design. Sure. I have a rule now, minimum of three, mm -hmm. better to do four or five. Mm. You might still, I shouldn't say never use your first design. Never use your first design without designing at least two or three other options. Yeah. Because when we did our first design for what we wanted out here, I came up with a plan. I thought, oh, this is great. This is mm -hmm. going to work really, really good. We went and we built it in the step and post and twine, yeah. and it was awful. Yeah. It was just, just awful. If I had gone and invested all the time and all the money and mm -hmm. all the effort into this project yeah. and built that, I would have been really mad right now. <laughs> sure, sure. So when you do come at this with, you know, try to plan for, you know, what we're going to build, force yourself to design at mm -hmm. least three options, mm -hmm. if not four or five. And in that process, what I find happens is your first design and your second one are completely different. Mm -hmm. Your third one highlights... A little bit from one, yeah. a little bit from two. And then you force yourself, if you'll go beyond that, number four, mm -hmm. force yourself to do another. Now it's totally different. Yeah. And that's where maybe number five is like the perfect mix of everything. Yep. Uh, we found when we did this, design number one was awful. Didn't work. It was just a mess. Design number two was actually pretty good. But I needed to continue in three and in, in iteration three. And then with Kenko's help, me and Rick sure. went over and... Some of the questions Rick asked, and you help us out here, Eli, uh, access, yeah, water. What are the things, when people have a good design, what questions do they then say, okay, will this work for access, water? What are the things they need to consider? Yeah, the, the big ones that I always push people towards are gates, um, access roads. What roads are in existence? How can you see yourself deviating those roads? Where maybe do you want a road in the future? Um, having enough gates and having them wide enough is another thing. That's, That's what a I, good one. I always stress that. So even though maybe the widest thing you have right now is a side-by-side, -side, 
Um, maybe you decide you need to borrow the neighbor's tractor and manure spreader to come do something, and now your gate's too narrow. You know, yeah. so try to consider all of the equipment that you may need in the future. Make those gates wide enough. So gates, access points are huge. Water is the other one. You know, so uh, roadways and water are big. Um, I try when I'm helping people design. I try to leave the uh, the middle or the interior as open as possible and build that with maybe some semi-permanent materials so that if things change down the yeah. road, they have the flexibility to do that. The perimeter is really the most important thing to secure. Um, I know that even looking at like some NRCS grants and equip stuff like that, when they when they draw stuff out for you, some of that is pretty permanent interior paddocks, which is fine because maybe some of those farms and whatnot um, aren't able of, you know, thinking all that through for themselves in the moment or whatever. But I shy away from those plans because um, even sloppy weather, you know, the, the less room yeah. you give yourself to navigate or swing a curve or something like that all comes into play. So yep. I try to leave the, the interior as open as possible for semi-permanent or temporary fencing in the middle um, and really secure that boundary if you're taking notes write that one down because okay. i know for us our design it's a giant big square with a little pathway to it and that's why yep. because we knew you know what we can always run a couple aluminum wires on some t-posts yep. semi-permanent stuff out there but whether we're moving pigs or camels or mm -hmm. cows or whatever we're going to need to move different size yep. different space different kinds and right. if you're stuck in you know uh, a grid pattern where everything is the same amount of space and the same width and mm -hmm. everything, it might not work for the changes that your right. animals, the weather patterns, mm -hmm. and just your management style. You might find originally you have a full-time job and you don't have any time to rotationally graze, but then look at, I look at how my life has changed homesteading over the last yep. decade. I was commuting into a construction job, mm -hmm. coming home, leaving in the dark, coming home in the dark. Now I'm here all day. Yeah. So if right. I had one fence designed for one lifestyle without the flexibility, now I'd have to go and re change sure. it all. So great, sure. great tip. Put your perimeter in, keep it as flexible as possible. Yeah. I love that. That's such a good good. I was going to add on the brainstorming bit, you know, yeah. as you're talking about plans one, two, three, four, and five, in the holistic management sphere, we kind of coach people to have a brainstorming party in a sense, you know, bring in some of those voices that you think might. I love brainstorming. Yeah. And, I will come uh, to your brainstorming party and be like, I'm <laughs> send there. Send me the invite. I will RSVP. <laughs> um, but getting some of those outside voices and even like family dynamic, yeah. you know, having kids have a say in that because they, they have more creativity than, than we do. Unfortunately, we tend to outgrow our creativity. So even if they're just throwing out fun and kind of wild ideas, it might lead to an idea of some sort. So don't exclude people from that brainstorming. Yeah. If you can make one like overlay that's very generic, and then like you're saying, just put reps into it. You know, do another one, do another one, get people to do theirs, and then like you said, pick and choose the best features of each. That'll make a, a great fence. When we did this design, I had me and poor Kay. <laughs> she had to deal with me every. What did I? What is? And then I, my father-in-law stops by. He's a, a builder. He's got a good mind for what's going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. Where's my problem? My brother-in-law, same thing. He's a builder. He designs on CAD. Mm -hmm. Hey, what's going to go wrong? Where am I wrong here? Show right. me what's wrong. My dad, also a builder. Hey, what do you think, dad? Now, they don't even have animals. Sure. They're not handling animals. It's just pure, can you yep. get the tractor in? Can you get the thing in? This and having Rick with you guys. Rick was the one who said to me, 
What happens when an animal dies? Mm -hmm. Can you get in there with the tractor to pull it out? Right. What happens, you know, um, when the snow's too high and the gates don't work? Yep. Can you plow where your gates are? Right. Can you get to the water in the winter time? Things like that. So the more people you include in that process, and beautiful thing is Ken Cove is there to help to yeah, be part absolutely. of that part of that party. Absolutely. You can get Eli to your brainstorm party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So we got a lot of really good ideas. Uh, we got you know we've talked about materials. Some people are going to want to have this installed professionally. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to want to DIY. When it comes to professional installation. Any advice on how they find a good installer? Yeah. Um, so for one, you can give us a call. We have a database of kind of our dealers and our contractors that we're working with. Uh, and we can try to point you in the right direction as far as somebody local to you um, or closest to you that's been pretty active in, in all builds of the fence. And I would say that's another tip too is um, maybe if they're specialized in one thing, they're, they might be great at it. Um, or if they do a variety of different builds that might speak to their, their ability and their knowledge and their understanding of, of bracing and all that kind of stuff. Bracing is a big deal um, because that's where the strength of your fence ultimately lies, is in the bracing. So um, we can help try to point you in a direction. Um, otherwise, I know there's a lot of Facebook groups out there too, actually, you know, for anything you can imagine. It might be <laughs> another great way to track down somebody. Um, but I would say, and you were talking earlier about just uh, firsthand experience of things, drive down some of the roads, um, look at fences, yeah. stop by a farm and ask them who did their fence. Um, some companies- And are even, they happy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, and some companies will even hang little flags on their, uh, on their fence that says their company and their telephone number smart. or whatever. But um, yeah, if you can go visually look at a fence that somebody's done, you'll know pretty much everything you need to know. And honestly, that's a good, before you have your design ironclad, before, uh, do you suggest before they even make the order, should they know who's going to be installing it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's good because um, they might even, even pricing-wise, yeah. even pricing-wise, they might be able to source some stuff that's um, yep. um, at their dealer price or, or whatever, you know, to nice. do the build. So, um, yeah, anything like that is good. And just check on materials. If it is up to you to... Uh, obtain the materials, call in in advance, because like I said, post-COVID world, a lot of ah, yeah. supply chain stuff is up in the air. So just call and know you know what time frames look like so that you don't get a contractor scheduled and they're showing up and you're still waiting on posts to get shipped or something. Here's, so. here's the tip of the episode. If you're hoping to do this this year, there's a reason we planned this live stream for yeah. February. Yeah. Got some insider knowledge on you know how... Uh, supplies are and how they were last year start planning start the ball rolling because yeah. you know with all the crazy shortages like you know i talked about crazy covid world if you want to build some fence get that ball rolling yep. call ken cove tomorrow yeah yeah <laughs> um okay so people who are looking for an installer good advice there good way to find some good installers any tips for the the diyers yeah um a couple tools that will be just incredibly valuable for you would be uh, if you're doing like a high tensile or something like that, a spinning Jenny is mm -hmm. what pays out the wire. It holds it. It keeps it from uncoiling on you. If you've, I mean, our high tensile is thread laid, so it's pretty tame in that regard. But if you've ever worked with wire that it's like an accordion and you can't put it back together once Slinky. it's... Slinky. <laughs> um, so like that's huge. So that's a great tip. Look for spinning Jenny. What else? Spinning Jenny, a uh, good pair of cutters, wire cutters. Nipex is a great brand, lifetime warranty, lifetime limited warranty kind of stuff. Um, 
crimp tool. Like we offer a four-in-one crimp tool that's a, it's a cutter, it's a crimper, it's a staple puller, um, and a coated wire stripper. So it's all the things that you would need on one tool. So instead of having a tool belt that's weighed down with six different things, you know, mm -hmm. something like that can make your life really, really easy. So there's a few tools that are pretty crucial. That's post driver. Also in front a of the ATV. <laughs> post driver. That's a good tool too. Yeah. Post driver. Speaking of post driver, um, that's an option for people. You, do you have to own a skid steer to have a post driver? Uh, no. I, I mean, we will rent them out here in Pennsylvania, you know, local to our main warehouse. We'll rent out post drivers. Uh, but there are other places, rental facilities, that do have equipment like that, like augers for drilling out your yeah. uh, post holes. Um, so that equipment is around, and it's usually pretty reasonable. When you look at the, the value of the project you're building and you see some of the daily rates on those things, it's a no-brainer, you know, oh, to yeah. go rent something and just put it in. Um, if you're going to do it yourself, a lot of those contractors, they already have the big big boy toys, and they'll get it done really fast. But we, We're going to do a DIY install, and then my uh, my firepower, I was going to have my dad come and help, and then he couldn't make it, so we decided mm. to have an installer do it. And that was the one part of the project that surprised us, surprised us here where we are in Pennsylvania. We have serious ledge. Mm -hmm. And the post driving, why, my one, if I could do something different, it would be I would have done the rental and done my own posts yeah. and then let the, them do the rest of the fence uh, because that took a long, yeah. lot longer than expected. Sure. Now, if you don't have ledge, if you know you got good deep earth, mm -hmm. it, part of the farm is good. It went so fast. That post driver just boom, right. boom, boom. Um, but you know, then we hit ledge, and yeah. I think it—I think it went from one day to like four days of driving yep. posts, and yep. then having to jackhammer and stuff. That was our, you know, crazy thing that happened during the install. Yeah, everything else went pretty smooth. Um, any other bits of equipment that they'd want to have? There's so many, and some of them are are wire specific. You know, sure. like if you're working with woven wire. Um, to save your hands, you can get a twist tool, mm. and that can be as simple as like a flat or a round twist tool that you can do by hand. Some of them are drill powered to do the wraps for you. Um, if you're going electric, you should have a fault finder voltmeter. It will make yep. your life so much easier. Um, basically, you'll put it on there, and it'll give you the reading. You'll know how hot your fence is, but the fault finder will read the amps. So for electric fencing, you want high volts, low amps. That's what you want to see. Um, if you see high amps, you know that you have an issue on the fence somewhere. And what a fault finder does is it gives you a directional arrow of which way to track down that fault. And so basically you follow that high number until you find it or you pass it and the arrow switches and you know that, okay, let's go back to the last post. And you'll find that it's a, a wire that a deer knocked off and it's on a T post <laughs> or it's a cracked insulator or uh, you'll walk to the backside and a tree, tree branch came down and all the hot wires are touching non-hot wires and, and things like that. But a fault finder is a cheap tool that pays for itself over and over again. Um, and if you get certain kind of energizers that come with remotes and fault finders, you'll, you'll have a remote oh, on off option it. too. So the, the fence can be on and you can be out on the back 40 and you Ooh. find it and you can turn the fence off right there, fix it, turn it on and test it and see if that was the only issue if there's something further down the line. That's so, fancy. I like yeah, that. Remotes are 10-star uh, review in my book. So. That's, a, that's a pro tip right there. I didn't even know such a thing existed, which is yeah. why we got Ken Cove yeah. here and not us talking about this. <laughs> so many things, just working with Eli and Ken Cove over the last season, we've learned so many little tips like that. Just little pieces of equipment that can upgrade. So I know when you're like, hey, what do I need? And you go to the website, kencove.com, and you start looking... 
you don't even there's like so much stuff you, if you're not familiar with it mm-hmm. give a call yeah because little bits like that oh you're going to want to use this handle we showed in our last video yeah. the zammer handles that help you work on a hot fence versus you know a not hot fence uh that you know fault finder little tips like that are going to make your everyday chores mm-hmm smoother quicker better now i got to get me a fault finder because we have the way to test the fence see if it's working but Mm -hmm. knowing where to go to find the fault that's really good that's huge good stuff um all right so people uh, right now great time to get your questions in uh mods are being super helpful at highlighting them so if you guys want to re-ask your questions all in caps mods if you could uh, throw them at the bottom of the chat because we're going to start getting to people's questions here um, and uh, start answering some stuff here. We also have some questions on Instagram for Eli. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll start getting to that. So everybody get in your questions before the stream is done because we want to make sure while Eli's here, he can help everybody out. DIY uh, versus pro installer, they make their decision, they get the ball rolling. And then, you know, once that perimeter is up, Eli, as they go further on and they start, you know, working with different animals and different things, how do they turn that perimeter? What tools do they add to the mix to turn a bit, like kind of your bare perimeter mm-hmm. into rotational grazing? Yeah, uh, you know different species. What else is out there? And they can, and maybe they will cover this even more in a future either video or live stream. But just sure. give us an idea of what else they can do to fully use that nice perimeter. Yeah. So now you kind of have the box outline, and inside is where you're going to use that temporary or that semi-permanent kind of stuff. That it's there, it can hold something back, but we can pull it and use it elsewhere if we need to. So. Um, things like your your T post, your fiberglass posts are really nice. Um, we sell Pasture Pro posts and Sucker Rod that are similar to that as well. Uh, but anything in the fiberglass or composite material is going to save you some shorts on the fence. T posts are great, but if your wire hops out and it's touching a T post, now it's automatically grounded. Um, whereas something like a, a fiberglass post can take a good bit of pressure and tension. Uh, but also self-insulated and you don't have that risk of the fence shorting out. So anything like that for interior posts. Um, Inside, you can use some lighter gauge wire or braided twine or rope, depending on the animal. We do electric netting. So if you're doing poultry, uh, pigs, sheep, um, some guys even when they're combining small groups of multi-species, you know, like their their, uh, homesteady, uh, dairy cow, you know, that they've got going on, but it's also running with the sheep. You know, th- those cows will pretty much respect the electric net. They're pretty easy going when it comes to um, fence and containment. So you can do some multi-species like that. But yeah, anything that's braided twine, rope, electric netting can really help you divide up that interior into paddocks that make it as usable as possible. And as you watch this, if you're watching later after this live stream, leave us comments or, you know, if you want to go on Instagram, message Ken Cove. Uh, we'll have a link to Ken Cove's YouTube channel as well. Um, let us know what else you'd like because we got videos planned in the future. If you want to learn more about, you know, the netting products or what we would use to rotationally graze, you know, specific yeah. animals, let us know because we got plans to make throughout this season. We're going to be working together, making more content to help everybody out. Uh, so just let us know. Give us your feedback. We got some great, great questions here. Before we dive into the questions, all those tips about DIY, the tools, Ken Cove's channel, they have a series. It's oh, actually yeah. filmed at your home, your farm, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yep. So they got a brand new series they've been releasing. Uh, it's segment High Tensile 101, right? Yeah, yeah. We built a, it was a 700 foot straight run between me and a neighbor. Um, just needed a, a permanent barrier there where the cattle and sheep were at. Um, and we 
decided to turn that into the video series. So we do from start to finish planning to putting the last staple in the fence. So if you want to DIY it, or if you just want to visualize some of the stuff that we're talking about here, you can watch Eli on his own farm with Ken Cove products putting in that high tensile yeah. there. So I know our mods <laughs> will link to Ken Cove's YouTube channel. Don't miss out on that. Subscribe to their channel because they're putting out more and more really helpful content, educational, how-tos, yeah. instructionals. And uh, I know I'm, I'm excited seeing each new video coming out there. Plus, give Eli a follow, uh, Mac Farms on Instagram, because he's using a lot of their products too yeah. every day. Yep. A lot of it, you can watch him moving the cows and the sheep and everything else. So there's a lot of additional resources. And uh, at the end of the show, we'll also talk about a few more ways you can follow. But let's answer some questions here, because we do have a lot. Mother. Thank you so much, Mods, for helping us with these questions and also taking care of the trolls. Uh, I see Karen's joined us. Uh, Karen was excited about the show. I'm glad she made it too. Uh, so let's go through some questions here. We're going to start at the bottom and work our way up. Cindy asks, we're starting with chickens this year. Cindy's one of our mods. Uh, or no, she's sharing one of the questions. Uh, we're sharing, we're starting with chickens this year, goats the following year, hopefully. Can I use existing trees as posts? So great question. Yeah, you can do that. Um, a lot of people will do that in the wooded situations where they realize that they literally have fence posts growing out of the ground. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that the trees will continue to grow around insulators. Um, so sometimes what you would do is maybe fasten a two by four, a piece of lumber on something on, on the tree that gives you more of an offset to keep the tree from growing around insulators. But then as the tree also grows vertically, you can, you know, unscrew that and drop it down and kind of reposition those wires so it doesn't keep stretching up depending on how long this fence is going to be there. Um, so yes, you can do that um, if that's something you're okay with putting your trees in that situation. But I would encourage you to put up a piece of lumber or something to maybe separate the insulators or the wire from the tree. Um, also, nobody likes going back and cutting a tree that's had wire in it and just, mm -hmm. you know, messing up a chainsaw real fast. So um, <laughs> anything to prevent against that kind of stuff. We also sell the uh, the wraparound material is a, a tube insulator for corners, um, and we sell it in longer lengths, but then also just as a coil, and you could cut it to length. So if you needed to get around a big tree and it keeps arcing on the corners of the tree, you could do something like that oh, nice. too to get you the whole way around the diameter. So kind of the same uh, idea here, and maybe it was the same person who asked, uh, at Forest Edge said, how would you go about fencing a wooded area? Would a standard fence be effective? Standard fence be effective. So I'm not sure what uh, they're talking about standard fence, but mm -hmm. yeah, what did you what do you suggest for a wooded area fencing wise? Yeah. First off, what would they want to do? You know, in the area the fence is going, do you suggest they clear a little bit limbs, trees, anything? Yeah. Typically, you'll clear that initial path through there so that um, even you, as the human vehicle, can get through there efficiently while you're building the fence. Um, is a big deal, and especially after that equipment. If you're going to be hauling stuff on a side-by-side -side gator tractor or whatever, you'll want the room to do that. Um, not totally necessary. You can go Rambo style into the woods <laughs> and fence like crazy. That's fine. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Um, high tensile or single-strand wire is usually where I go to in the woods because you get a tree or a limb that falls on woven wire, that stuff is like oh, yeah. hard to reshape and get it to really take back that true form. Yep. Something like high tensile wire, trees fall on them all the time. You cut the tree off and the last cut, boom, boom right back. that fence comes right back up. Yep. So I always turn towards high tensile and wooded or even limbs hanging out over your fence line. As you're talking about, where do I put this fence line? I think the, uh, 
the Savannah Institute did a little story video on that this week of like, how close should you put your fence to a tree line? Because you're going to have trees falling over and limbs falling. Oh, yeah. So that's definitely something to keep in mind if you're going to be in a wooded area. Um, probably high tensile or something more flexible with the spring and elasticity in it. One bit of advice I got from one of the installers that we talked to before we did the project. This was a good bit of advice. He said, it's nice if you can run a mower down either side of your fence. Yeah. Because if you can run a mower, not a weed whacker, a mm -hmm. mower, then you're going to run a mower down both sides of your fence. You're going to maintain it more, yep. and that's going to keep your fence last longer. Mm -hmm. Not always possible. Some of our hills areas, we weren't able to run the mower, so sure. I got to weed whack a little bit yep. or or uh, let the goats out and turn off yeah. the fence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, good, good bit. Speaking of goats, uh, Woodside Hearth and Homestead asked, goat fencing tips. Goat fencing tips. So... Tip number one, don't have goats. But <laughs> Make your fencing life easier. Problem solved. Um, yeah, so that's where you would turn towards, depending on how frequently you're moving or if you're moving at all, some of the electric netting in a posi negative setup um, can really help you do that and get a good grounding situation for keeping goats in. Um, a lot of people are turning towards the woven wire for the more permanent um, something like a, a two by four, maybe even a two, two inch by four inch um, to give a smaller gap Typically, it's used in a horse setting, so they're not putting their, their hooves and legs through a fence, but to uh, you know help keep the, the horns and anything else out of the fence from getting stuck. Um, otherwise, multiple strands of a braided twine or a wire. Um, however you need to do that, it's going to be a little bit context-specific. Um, like I said, maybe it's just individuals, but I know goats are pretty, pretty ornery as far as the <laughs> yes. ranking of livestock goes for containment. Um, but yeah, electric netting, posi-negative, you can do posi-negative on single strands, whether that's twine or high tensile, um, and then picking the correct uh, uh, woven wire to help with that. So we can get more specific if you want, but I don't know, for the... No, I think that's a good baseline, mm -hmm. and that's why Ken Coe's there. Give him a call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, next question, uh, at Forest Edge. We can tell at Forest Edge was a great name for your homestead, because all the questions are <laughs> right about this. Is it possible to use solar-powered fence in a wooded area, or will it need direct sunlight? We hardly talked about solar power. Yeah. This is a great thing to have. This is why it's so nice we're getting questions tonight. Yeah. Can you use it? Do you need direct sunlight? And what are the benefits of solar power system? Sure. So the solar allows you to get remote. You know, and we even sell solar dollies if you're doing rotational stuff to where your energizer, your battery, your solar panel, everything sits on it. Super cool. You just move it all as one yeah, unit. That's nice. Um, so solar, yes, it's going to need that direct sunlight to keep the battery charged. Um, and you could probably do something where you position that solar panel at the edge of the woods or somewhere that it is gonna get the sunlight and then run a lead wire to the fence if you need to. Um, if you've got a pretty full canopy and the sunlight just really isn't getting in there to a solar energizer, that's something you could do is get the, get the energizer out to the open and run a lead wire. You'll just want to account for that distance of wire um, if you think you're maxing out. So this is a good question just in general for everybody. Typically, we recommend one output joule per mile of fence. Usually puts you in a pretty good standing. Um, and I say output joule because a lot of companies will advertise their stored joules which doesn't really mean a whole lot for the capability of the energizer. So um, a joule is like the horsepower rating of an energizer. And that pretty much has to do with distance. How far can it push that electricity down the line? And a lot of people say, um, hey, 10 volts isn't enough because I got this animal that's acting up, blah, blah, blah. Most energizers are going to operate on that 0 to 10 kilovolt scale. Um, it, it doesn't really get 
more or less what changes is if the energizer is sized accordingly to the distance of fence is, is how that's going to work. So if you got that horsepower set right, that's going to go a long way. Um, with things like portable netting, we recommend a minimum of a quarter joule, 0.25 output per net. That should help you as you piece that together. And that's one of those things, individual design, when they're working with you guys, you guys can answer that per, you know, Per design, hey, what are you using? What what's the size? Um, to go along with that, three foot of ground rod per joule. So if you got a one joule energizer, you can get away with three feet. If you got a six joule times three, you're looking at 18 feet. Um, put a ground bed somewhere where it stays moist. It's getting runoff from a building or an, a shed roof. You know, somewhere that's going to stay nice and wet. Here's another one, uh, kind of looking at a, new, a different setting here, Eli. Uh, a three acre city property. What kind of fence for goats, dogs, and pigs? And it says Kentucky, so horse fencing aesthetic would be okay too. And my dog is barking like right on cue. Speaking yep. of dogs. Uh, so there's an interesting element. We're more in a city here, keeping a dog in. Any suggestions Any uh, for that particular? Yeah. For something more like that, I might opt for the woven wire as a more complete, especially on the, the lower setting. Yeah. Um, just because you don't want to have issues with neighbors or people walking by and dogs getting in the mix or animals getting out. Like yep. that's kind of where you want to put maximum security on a facility because uh, good good fences make good neighbors and good community <laughs> relationships. Um, so I would say probably do the uh, woven wire. Um, and if you need to, you can offset with electric to keep animals from even getting to that woven wire first to start any issues. I was just going to ask, because somebody's asking about livestock guardian dogs. Mm -hmm. We know we've had a few different breeds in the past that are LGD types. Yep. They're climbers. Yeah. Whereas my labs never are going to get out of a woven wire. Those LGDs mm -hmm. right up and over. So that little tip there of having a hot wire included in the mix, when we show, when we do the video on our setup, on mm -hmm. our woven wire setup, <clears throat> we actually have three hot wires yeah. down the bottom, middle, and top. Yep. And that little addition of a little hot high tensile in addition to the woven mm -hmm. has kept the dogs from escaping or climbing, mm -hmm. has kept uh, the camel problem of pushing down, but again, yeah. horses would do this too and the bulls from pushing on the side. So a little right. bit of combo there. Great, great tip. Um, that's good for going over. If anybody has an issue with things going under, uh, yep. sometimes you can you can bury an apron fence if you're willing to dig up the fence line, whether that's like a, a coated chicken wire kind of thing or just more of the woven wire, whatever you have access to. Um, you can also do that and put that maybe a foot or 16 inches down below, uh, maybe in a garden setting, especially if you've got critters that are getting in there and you wanna stop them from digging, you could do that. You could put an apron fence in the ground. And that also just, you know, keeping things in and out, good for both. Um, okay, so we got a few more questions here. Is electric netting sufficient for fencing sheep? Or is there a more reliable way to temporarily fence sheep? Yeah, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of people do with electric netting. That's how I started my sheep. Um, <clears throat> I was moving the cattle separate and the sheep separate, and the sheep had the electric netting. Um, and that's kind of how they got trained to electric. And what actually melted them together so that they could run as one herd was uh, we spent the winter eating hay bales together, the sheep and cattle together. And now the sheep move with the cattle and they respect the braided twine. But uh, it's, 
you know, sometimes they still test it. But electric net would be what I turn to if um, if they are really questioning and they're really trying the fence. Electric net is a more of a secure deal. Um, <clears throat> I have some friends that are pretty, man, hot and heavy rotational grazing large, large, large amounts of sheep. And they do it with netting to kind of erase the any questionable doubt about it. Um, but netting does come with its downsides of, of moving. You know, you have to gather it all up. It likes to oh, get yeah. caught on sticks or things like that. Um, but I would be confident with electric netting for sheep. Yeah. We're going to hopefully this, this <clears throat> summer as we're moving our animals through, hopefully highlight a little bit of uh, alternatives too. Kenko's got some cool... Uh, new lines that they've brought in yeah. that we're excited to show. So in the summer, we're going to have sheep. We're going to have everything this year. <laughs> yeah. The sheep are going to be out there, the pigs, the chickens, everything. So hopefully we'll show some different options too, um, you know, highlight some different things here. So a couple more questions for you, Eli. Um, one that I thought was a really good one, tips on running an electric fence main uh, to run to other paddocks off of a single fence. Uh, so consider running the external of my 10 acres to just be able to pull power for the paddocks from it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's typically what you're going to do is you're going to have that outside electric run, whether that's even just a one strand to get you going, and then you can hook a, a reel or whatever your temporary fence is. Thank you, sir. Um, to that. If you need a refill. <laughs> and pull the electric from the perimeter. But that's... Um, yeah, and just size that energizer to know that you can go the distance of your perimeter, if that's 10 acres or whatever it is, and then you have an electric hookup at any point of the uh, the farm, the homestead, or anything. Is that the question? Am I approaching yeah, it the right yeah, way? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you got that. Yeah, so that's a great idea. Uh, we had a couple more questions. I just want to make sure we get to everybody yeah. before we sign off here. Karen, one of our mods, actually asked on Instagram about using for posts wood versus a... Um, fiberglass or plastic we yeah. didn't talk about the options there yeah, no it's a good one any advice there Eli <clears throat> yeah um so wood I, t I typically leave that for the the permanent stuff um with wood the treatment is going to be the biggest thing at Kenko if we do a 0 0.40 density CCA treatment um and that's going to last you a long time there are other treatments out there that are not up to quality or not up to that density and they're going to rot out on you at some point um, not just a sales pitch, just trying to help you out and make your dollar last as long as possible. Like treatment does matter. Not all posts are created equal. So pay attention to the treatment, look at the density. If you have any questions on that stuff, you can give us a call, say, Hey, my local guy can get me these kind of posts. He said they're treated like this. What does that mean? We can, we can get you some answers on that. Um, I like to use the self insulating posts, like the fiberglass and things like that. Um, so that ever you have an insulate, an insulator break, a wire pops off, your fence isn't necessarily shorted out, even if it's up against the post. So even, that like versus a T post. T post, yeah. yeah. Even on a wood post, you know, some moisture stuff, you can still uh, lose yeah. some voltage on things up against a wood post. And for my application, I like to travel like light and fast with fencing. Um, T posts are going to require some equipment of some sort for me mm -hmm. to install. Yep. Most of the other things, I'm either stepping them in the ground or I'm tapping them in with a hammer or a sledgehammer and I can keep moving. So that's what comes back to context, you know, how, how permanent do you need something to be? What tools are gonna be required? Do you have the tools? Do you have access to them? What makes your life easier? So, okay, I think we've covered, I think we've covered all the questions. Looks like we've covered everything. Our mods are, <laughs> we have some awesome mods. Karen, Cindy, and Jack have put all the links to <clears throat> the, uh, you can find Mac Farms on Instagram, Ken Cove's website, 
Ken Cove's YouTube channel. So everything in the live chat, we will add those links to, to the video description. We've covered all the questions. Eli, you've given us some awesome advice. Uh, if people want to continue following, first off, uh, hearing from Ken Cove as far as deals go, news, you know, anything that they want to follow Ken Cove wise, where should they follow Ken Cove? Yeah. Uh, for one, if we do have an email list um, or mail out, if you want to be kept in the loop on any deals, specials, new product announcements, or even events, you know, especially here in PA, we're starting to do more local Ooh, PA events. Glad you mentioned that. I was looking, you guys are having a fencing school coming up. Yes. Yes. Every year we do a couple rounds of fence school. So, um, fence contractors will send their new hires to come learn some basics. Um, just farmers, ranchers, backyard people, homestead people, everybody comes to fence school and we take you through a pretty, pretty, uh, in-depth look at fencing. We talk about woven wire, high tensile, and then even equine fence. So like the coated oh, wire nice. and more of the nice aesthetic looking stuff. Um, and so from that, you'll pretty much walk away knowing how to, how to do that. Uh, myself and my friend Digger who worked there, uh, he works there at Ken Cove. We'll be the instructors this year, um, and we'll be having a lot of fun with that. I was thinking, I wonder, let us know in the comment section if we could get an, a, enough of a group. One of these days we could plan an actual homesteady uh, visit yep. to Ken Cove. Let us know if you'd be interested in coming to Western Pennsylvania. You'd be, be Eli there. I, I'll meet you there, and we'll go, and we'll take a tour and see some of the products. That'd be cool. If, if we have enough people interested, we could work something out. That'd be sweet. Um, so, okay, so if they want to follow you guys, yeah. you got your email list. Uh, email list. We're on social media, uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's Ken Cove. Um, and like I mentioned, Facebook or um, uh, YouTube Ken Cove channel. Don't miss that one. They're putting really helpful videos, how-tos, instructionals, yep. this latest series on high tensile. If you want to DIY it, yeah, that's watch that. Mm -hmm. That's going to really help you. Um, so give them a follow there. And then Eli, on the Mac Farm side of things, we've talked about you got your Instagram yep. account. You have a YouTube channel. Uh, it, it, something like I'm that. I'm going to try to keep working <laughs> on them to increase the YouTube uh, coverage. Yeah. Uh, also, back at a new season of your podcast. Yes. Yes, I, I do run a podcast, uh, the Pennsylvania Grazier podcast. I just recorded the first one for this year with Isaac Tappenden from Greg Judy's Farm. Um, he's the herd manager there, been an intern, now he's the herd manager. So we sat down and talked about stockpile grazing. You know, for this time of year, that's a very suitable topic. You know, some people uh, might be looking to do that better next year or figuring out how to do it better right now to save on, on some hay costs. So yeah, the Pennsylvania Grazer podcast, so I'm going to have more episodes coming out um, this year, but that's something that's really fun and it gets some of the voices in the agriculture and regenerative space kind of gives them a, a platform to talk about what they know. If you guys are interested in rotational grazing animals of any kind, I, I love watching Eli's morning <clears throat> moves on Instagram. Uh, you can see a ton of what he's up to over there and, uh, get a lot of really, really good tips. I was looking just uh, a couple weeks ago, you were sharing what you do for winter water. Little tips like that are going to be really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, but then go check out the podcast. If you're listening right now, search for Eli's podcast, or we'll actually put a link in the description sure. of this so you guys can go subscribe. Uh, because this is the first time we've talked on the podcast, I'd love to see Eli get a huge homesteady flood. <laughs> so, guys, go give Ken Cove and Mac Farms, Pennsylvania Grazier, all of them. Give them a follow. Say hello from Homesteady. You know, again, let us know in the comments on this video or any of our socials what you'd like to see more from Ken Cove. One thing I think we could, we covered a lot today of woven wire and high tensile permanent, mm -hmm. but 
there's a lot of options out there. Even when you look at what Eli's doing at Mac Farms, he's got the high tensile in some sections. Yeah. Then he's got some other stuff, which is more semi-permanent. Yeah. We could cover some on that if you want to learn more about that. And we can certainly answer more questions. Uh, Eli, you have been a huge help tonight. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Thanks. And again, let us know, guys, in the chat box. We did get uh, Ben gave us a super chat. Thank you so much, Ben. As always, uh, goes the crew is excited about that. And he said, hey, all, great video idea. So I know, seeing the comments here, we got 60 people still watching an hour in. Awesome. An hour and 10 in. That's good. Uh, I was glad Eli's a podcaster. He can go for an hour and 10 here. <laughs> he still, still got it. So that podcast and help. And I, hope they, I hope they appreciated the mustache. I grew this because... <laughs> I felt so bad. I wanted to I wanted to relate to the audience right? and build some trustability into that. And, and I figured, here I let mine grow out. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> like, actually, yesterday, my kids are the reason I even have a mustache. And uh, just today, my one daughter said to me, she looked at me and she said, you need a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to do a little weed whacking here. <laughs> Eli, this was awesome, man. Yeah. Huge help. I know the audience really, really enjoyed this. Guys, okay. let us know in the future what you'd like to see more of because we got more plans with Ken Cove coming into the new season. Mods, thank you guys so much. You guys were on fire tonight. There were a lot of questions. I saw the trolls being taken care of. <laughs> thank you so much. Everybody, thank you for joining us. We're going to go for tonight, but we will have more good stuff from Ken Cove. Uh, this, this, we have some really big plans for some great videos this coming season. Thanks for being here tonight.